today, Stephen, is going to take a look at your superannuation, some options in these times it's worth considering. And we'll also have our market update with Henry Jennings, plus take a look at how the general world of finance is travelling at the moment. To NURFM's Thursday Finance with Stephen Pritchard joining us. And uh, Stephen, before we get on to currencies and commodities, are there any COVID-related items that we really should know about at this stage? Uh, yeah, there's a couple of things that have that have come up since the end of the financial year. So um, since, the first of, uh, since the 1st of July, you've been able to apply for a uh, small businesses have been able to apply for an additional $3,000 government uh, state government New South Wales state government grant to assist your small business to reopen or do some um, cleaning processes. Um, there's a list of things you can apply for so you just need to go on a type in on Google New South Wales government $3,000 COVID grant and up it will come and you just need to fill the application form in if you're eligible, fill the application form and send that in and hopefully you'll get $3,000 for listening to us. <laughs> and the other thing we need to talk about is um, since the 1st of July, um, you can now eligible to apply for your second round of superannuation release up to $10,000. Um, you need to do that by going on your MyGov site, apply through the ATO. The ATO, um, after you complete the hardship questionnaire, the ATO will then send that information on to the superannuation fund and process the um, the release of the money from the fund. So you do have to prove that you are experiencing. Uh, there's a series of questions you 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 need to answer to prove your eligibility for the. Um, Taking super out, so it's not just frivolous. Oh, I'll go and spend this money. <laughs> yes, I think that's what's happening in some case. But you right. are, uh, yeah, yeah, you are supposed to answer the questions truthfully. And um, mm. the ATO, the, the ATO, the process is you go to the ATO MyGov website. The ATO is the authority that approves the early release of super, um, and they will then send the applications on to um, the super fund to process. Um, right. So it's no use ringing the super fund; they can't do anything mm. now. On that earlier comment, the ATO has said in the last two weeks that they're going to go and check some of the statements that people have made. So um, just be be a bit careful there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now in the meantime, how how is gold going? How are my gold reserves? Your gold reserves, you've got to... My stack uh, of gold under um, the bed. Like Harry Potter, (laughs) yeah. The, um, yeah, so uh, the gold price was was down twenty three dollars and five cents for the week to two thousand five hundred and seventy one Australian dollars, and the oil price was up eleven cents a barrel to the week to sixty two dollars and sixty two dollars and twenty four cents. So um, yeah, not really much. Not changes. Change. All the changes are less than one percent. Um, the currency. Um, oh, currencies. Good news. Good news. If you're going to travel overseas. Yeah. Well. <laughs> um, uh, good news if you're importing stuff. Um, so yeah. So the Australian dollar continues to go higher. It's a seventy seventy point oh eight uh, US cents at the moment, which was which is up um, just on half a cent of the week, which is a really substantial move. Uh, the Great British Pound, it's 55.66 uh, pence, which we were also up uh, almost half a percent on that. Uh, the New Zealand dollar was $1.06, which we're up 0.6 on. And the euro is 61.38 euro cents, which we were down point. Point three two mm, oh well, cents on. Not much in that. Not much movement, really. No, it's what about the... It's interesting the trend of the dollar is generally yeah. up there. Yeah, yeah that's, that's good. What about uh, share markets? The share markets around the world continue to um, 
defy gravity. Um, uh, the Australian market was up uh, 84, 80, 85.4 pen, uh, points on the week to 6,160. The S&P 500 was up 74.5 points to 3,226. And the UK FTSE was up 243 to 6,292. Yeah. So as the health problems appear to be getting worse, the share markets get higher, which is interesting. Got to put your optimism somewhere, I suppose. Optimism. And optimism people have been buying some BHP shares, which were up $1.54 on the week to $38. They so, I mean, $38 for a long time. Um, CBA was up $2.31, back above $72.73. Uh, NIB was up $0.12 cents to $4.76. And, and Telstra was down $0.04 cents to $3.47, which is still a reasonable price compared to a month or so ago. And the, the fuel price, $1.17.3 for unleaded in Newcastle, $1.11.1 for unleaded in Sydney, diesel in Newcastle is $1.21.2. A litre and diesel in Sydney is a dollar sixteen point six. Thursday finance on to a new RFM and time for us to take a look at the market. Our market update: Stephen Pritchard with Henry Jennings. Ah, uh, Henry, we're back. We're back, Stephen. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. That's good. Bit cool up here, but we'll get there. Surviving the wild weather and the wind and the waves. Yes, at least it's not raining here today, so that's one good thing. Yes, and here as well. It's actually the sun's been out even. Slightly. Slightly. Yeah, it's slightly here. A little Mm -hmm. bit chilly. Yes, the sun's out if you're a shareholder in Afterpay, though, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, yes. Um, Well, this this has been, um, I guess this has been, this is the stock that divides a nation in some respects, certainly the nation of traders and investors. Um, certainly some people um, don't believe in the whole buy now, pay later model and think it's all, you know, sort of uh, made up funny money and uh, really has no future. And other people are massive, massive fans. This one um, is now trading at around $68. Um, they've recently done a capital raising to raise around 800 and something million plus, which is usually not a great sign for stocks. The um, two of the founders um, also sold down... $250 million worth of the stock. Mm-hmm. So I don't know whether that rings alarm bells for you, but it does sort of ring slight. I mean, they've still got big holdings, but you know that, that is a big slug of money to take off the table, even even in Sydney and Melbourne property markets. it's um, That buys you quite a lot of real estate. So, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those areas that does uh, sort of divide, and analysts have been rushing to update their price targets on these things and come in for a bit of criticism, I have to say. Some of the big guys have sort of gone from price targets of 25 30 bucks to price targets of 100 bucks, and you just scratch your head and go, really? Mm. Um, how'd you come to that? So it has been somewhat controversial. Having waded through pages and pages and pages of these analyst forecasts, you can kind of see where they're going with it. And you can also see that they have a sort of uh, one uh, one broker had a best case, a base case, and a worst case, and there was a range of prices that they thought the company was worth given those three scenarios, and then put a probability on each of those, and that's where they came up with a hundred and one dollar valuation. So the Dalmatian valuation, the hundred and one Dalmatian. So mm. yeah, it's been a sexy sector, and there's all the peripherals as well, all the wannabes that are trailing. Uh, the zips, the sezzle, the split its, the open pays, all of which seem to be wilting as the big daddy of them all continues to hold up. Um, 
guess the question comes as to when the, um, the, the wannabes start to look attractive and the big daddy looks expensive. So uh, I'm sure that will come and we'll see some rotation eventually. But the big daddy doesn't actually make any money, does it? Well, you know what? None of them make any money. No, no. no. Um, none of them make any In fact, the only one that makes money is a company called Flexi Group, which mm-hmm. hasn't got a particularly cool and trendy name. No. Um, but it has a product called Hum with two M's. And it does make money, and it even paid a dividend, and has done for many years. And these guys were the daggy kind of Harvey Norman, you know, 60 months free, interest-free yep. credit, all that sort of stuff. Um, and the stock, apart from the, the big dip down in March and then the rebound, has really done nothing. They need to change their name. If they changed it to Hum instead of Flexi Group, I reckon you could put a 50 cents on the share price just because the herd would go, ooh. These guys do buy now, pay later, and they actually make money out of it. So it's um, it's been a it's been a tricky road for FlexiGroup. I have to say they had too many products, too complicated, and the new, uh, relatively new CEO Rebecca James has been doing a pretty good job in simplifying it down to, um, to sort of a much simpler suite of products. And that's the great thing about Afterpay, and it applies to Fortescue as well. Keep it simple, stupid. Mm. You know, one product, one simple business proposition. And it works. Same yes. as you dig stuff up, send it to China. It works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And over at Seven Group, they're going, going a bit the other way. So they're, they're up, what, 16% of Borrel now. Yeah, well, there you go. They're, they're, clearly, they're using the current um, corona issues and also the current transition in management of Borrel, as Mike Kane, who bought the, uh, that big US acquisition a year or two ago, um, is on the way out and seven have been creeping up the register. They, they do tend to have a habit of doing this. Um, they did it with Beach Petroleum as well. So they, they creep up the register. They, it's kind of a, um, a takeover or control by stealth, I guess, in some ways. Um, so although the stock has rebounded nicely from those March lows, you know, every time we hear that seven have bought some more, it doesn't really ignite the share price for any kind of full takeover offer because it's, it's very much a creep. They can go to 19.9% as a substantial shareholder. I'd imagine they'd ask for a couple of board seats. They probably already have. Um, and then they can kind of creep upwards every, I think it's every six months you can creep. Yeah, six months, 3%. Yep. Yeah, so you can sort of, over time, and this is a long game, obviously, they, they get to look at the books because they're now 19.9, but at the moment they're 16, but you'd imagine they'll creep a bit higher. Um, they get to look at the books, they get a bit of an insider take on the business, and they can then creep up slowly over the next you know, two or three years until they have uh, a lot more control. So take over by stealth. So a couple of the big oil socks, and our, or oil and gas, I suppose is the correct term, uh, announced some um, write-downs this week. I mean, Woodside's talking of uh, $6.3 billion in write-downs. Yeah, but it's non-cash, Stephen, so it doesn't count. Well, it was cash at some stage. <laughs> <laughs> it was cash at some stage. I, I love these things. I love it when the companies say, well, it's, it's non-cash, so it doesn't have any effect. <laughs> you know what? It does have an effect, and it means that somebody somewhere in the past stuffed up and paid something or valued something uh, way more than it should have been valued at given the, the current outlook. So Woodside's done it, as you say, over $6 billion in impairments. Um, and we've also seen Origin do a similar amount uh, or a similar thing and also um, Oil Search too. So 
Um, and they're not alone. Global oil companies have been writing down the value of their assets considerably. And the problem is, of course, is that as with all good Excel spreadsheets, if you put rubbish in, you tend to get rubbish mm. out. And when you alter one little thing, it just all the numbers suddenly change. Yeah, I mean, I was explaining to someone the other day is that I can get any value for these resource stocks I want. Yeah. All, all I have to change is the price of the of the commodity. That's right. And you'll get it's, any number you want. It's exactly right. So these, these guys have been working off uh, much, much higher oil prices in their Excel spreadsheets in terms of their asset valuations. So when they plugged in the big downgrade that we've seen to oil prices, okay, now we're back to 40 bucks. so it's a lot better than at 25 and at 20 um, still, it does throw up a lot of problems in terms of uh, all those numbers suddenly change and they don't change for the good. And as a result, Woodside is now, obviously, they look at um, what projects they can put on the back burner, uh, final decisions and those sorts of things. At the same time, you've got Chevron selling uh, part of their, well, all of their Northwest Shelf uh, assets that they've got. I think they've got about 16 point something mm-hmm. percent of those Northwest Shelf assets with Woodside and so there's you know there's sellers on the market it just it makes it tough being an oil company at the moment I have to say it's not not an easy business to be in iron mm-hmm. ore is easy or gold is uh, sorry oil is not so easy and following on from our discussion a couple of weeks ago is mm. Magellan's come out this week and said they're increasing the cash in their portfolios as well yeah and that seems to be quite common again you know amongst institutional type investors and yet the retail investors are running in to buy more and more equities. I mean, ASIC even put a warning out at some stage. Yeah. Um, so what do you make of all this? Well, um, I guess it's part of the Robin Hood effect, which is that this is a brokerage house in the US, which basically you can trade for nothing. And people stuck at home under COVID and with a bit of cash in their bank from their unemployment benefit have been punting the market and following people on Twitter, etc., to punt the market. We're seeing it here to some extent. Some of the stock groups that I've subscribed to are just scary um, in some, some of the, con, you know, the comments mm. that you see. Russia has even got it happening. China's got it going on. Um, but the thing about the big institutions and the big fund managers, and we're certainly at very, very high elevated cash levels and still pretty cautious, um, is that it's, it's hard for Magellan to, to get in and get out quickly. Now, if you've got $100 billion under management and you went to, uh, you decided to go to all cash because you were worried, that would be quite a big um, effect in terms of uh, liquidity events, trying to get out of all those stocks in one go. And then if you changed your mind the next day to get back into them the next go. Mm-hmm. So the, the retail punter has, uh, I guess, a little bit of an advantage because they are somewhat more fleet of foot. So they can change their mind and be a bit more mercurial than uh, maybe some of these big instars. I think Hamish said he had around 15 16% in yeah. cash, um, which, you know, sounds quite elevated, but it's not really. I know Jeff Wilson was has been up to um, 35% in cash, and in our managed fund business, we're 100% cash. Mm-hmm. So that is a, that is basically, you know, we're, we're waiting on the sidelines. So 16% is a lot when you're managing $100 billion. $16 billion, isn't it? Is that your bonus last year? <laughs> uh, oh, Stephen, yes. We'll take about 400 noughts off that. Yes. Um, so, um, so, yeah, it's just easier for uh, for retail guys to get in and get out, and they can be a little bit quicker 
on the trigger, but the, the big funds, they, they really have to struggle. The other thing that they do do, which maybe some of the retail guys don't do, is they do use options and derivatives mm -hmm. to hedge their positions, and that is a relatively quicker and simpler yep. thing to do. So they might sell futures contracts, they might buy option, call options or put options to get different kinds of exposure. So um, there are many sort of uh, tools in their tool box, if you like, for uh, institutions. But uh, certainly Hamish has been ringing, uh, well, certainly sounding some alarm bells, but he's not the only one. But equally, retail investors have done really, really well, yeah, while a right. lot of experts have sat on the sidelines scratching their head and saying, well, this is all too hard. Mm -hmm. So... Who's the, who's the dummy? I don't know, but we'll have our expert back next week, Henry. Will it? Where? Where? Where's yeah, it coming from? Yeah. Oh, okay. Provided that we're, provided that we're still... Uh, that everything's still going on. I'll be here. I'll be here if I'm locked in and locked down yes, and yes. restricted and God knows what yes. else. Yes, yes, yes. The new normal, eh? Just don't go into Liverpool or Camel Town. Yes. No, no. Well, I'm in, I'm in the Northern Beaches bubble, I have to say. Yes, well, that's good. Keep the bubble going. Thank okay. you so much, Henry Jennings Thanks, Henry. from Mark. Uh, today and okay. uh, our market update returning next Thursday with Thursday Finance. Time for us to think about our superannuation. We're close to the start of a new financial year and, well, what are some of the options we could consider? Yeah, I, I thought today there's a bit of a confusion about various superannuation funds and options and I thought we'd talk about today about what, what, what's available to the, to the average type person with your superannuation fund options without, without going into some of the, the, the um, uh, less common ones, right? Right. So there, common there's options. common options, probably. So there, there's 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 you know there's there's the two main type of options generally. Now we're not just talking about self-managed super funds no, here. No, no, we're this talking is talking about, about yeah. So we're going to talk about the public funds. offer funds, yes, and self-managed superannuation right. funds, right? Okay. So we're we're splitting. We're going to split here between the public offer funds and the self-managed funds, but we're not going to be talking about um, defined benefit funds and corporate funds and all those less. Right. There's common things. Right. So we'll just talk about what average people have come. So there's the two major splits. There's the public offer funds, which are basically available to everyone. Um, um, and then there's the self-managed superannuation funds, which are also available to everyone, provided you meet some of the eligibility criteria, which most people would. So the public offer funds can, be, can then be divided into three kind of groups um, and they kind of overlap a bit but these are generally the three type of groups there's the, there's the, the industry funds which most people are um, also referred to as commonly um, by as the union funds but generally the industry funds are, aren't controlled by the unions they're 50% um, union representatives and 50% um, employer representatives through, through their industry body so we'll use the term industry funds for those then there's the private sector funds. Now, these are public offer funds that are put out by um, uh, generally banks, uh, life insurance companies, um, trustee companies, and there's a few other um, private sector ones around as well that are kind of independent. So they're, they're another kind of category. And there's the, the wrap product type superannuation funds and they're, they're, they're put out by, you know, there's a Macquarie wrap super fund, there's a BT wrap super fund and there's a, a few others around there as well. So what does that mean? Well, I, th I thought we'd kind of go through we'll go and through them one by one. one, by one. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 so things you need to consider um, when, when you're selecting um, 
what type of superannuation fund you, you, you suits you is is um, is you need to, you need to do a kind of bit of a checklist when you evaluate these things. One is your insurance options. Um, does the superannuation fund you you want to uh, go into have um, the insurance you need to to take out or you or you would like to take out. Now that's more applicable to public offer funds because with a self-managed superannuation fund um, you can put whatever insurance you want in there um, and you just got to pay the premium. But but generally your insurance will be cheaper through your through your public offer funds than your your self-managed superannuation fund. Um, but you might not be able to get the insurance you want through the public offer funds. Um, and then the investment options. Now, now going down here, these we're talking about generally here, the industry funds usually have the least investment options. The private sector funds have, um, depending on the fund, usually more, more, more investment options. And a RAP-type fund has... Yeah, considerably more investment options as well. And, of course, the self-managed superannuation fund has the most investment options because you can put things in there that none of the public offer funds will will try and um, will, will have available. So, so, for example, if you had some paintings you wanted to put well, in or paintings some other... Well, paintings are... We, we would valuable. just okay. steer, steer away from collectibles because right. that's... You know, to put... Yes, you can technically put collectibles in there. You can put your painting in there, but the painting can't be kept in your office and can't be kept at home and it has to be stored in a secure location and it has to have insurance and why would you bother? Yes. Um, right, but you can technically put collectibles into a self-managed super fund, but right. if you came to me, I'd tell you you need your head read. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, fun. basically. So, yes. so yeah, so um, your, 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 your options for your funds um, is generally, you know, you've got a pooled, type option and that's what's commonly available in the industry funds and what that means is that they'll they'll look at um, their, their their things across the their pop or their members and they'll usually have a, a conservative fund a balanced fund or a growth fund or some similar type names now when you're considering those it's important to get the and I know this is boring but this is important one of the best one of the major things that will affect the end retirement benefit after the tax is the 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 investment option that you select Mm -hmm. now you need to you need to get the pds Um, most of these pds's will have you know three or the industry funds will have three or four options in there and you need to look at which option suits you. Now, your things you need to take into account is um, the amount of risk you, you're prepared to take. Uh, a conservative fund has less risk than a balanced fund, and a balanced fund has less risk than aggressive or whatever they want to call it. Um, and then your time to retirement. Now, um, the, the longer the time, and we're just talking general stuff here, the longer the time to retirement, the more risk you can you can kind of afford to to take because you've got the the time to make that up. And if you look at all the long-term stats, um, you know, the the balance fund or the aggressive fund would do far better than the conservative fund. But the last thing you want to do is have your money in, say, the Australian equities option and decide to retire and the next day it's down 40%. Mm. So, So you need to look at the investment options, try and understand them. Most of them have, you know, estimated time frame you should put the money in and the risk and they're the two most important things you need to look at but yeah you need to look at that
to NURFM's Thursday Finance and Stephen Pritchard. We're looking at things to consider about your superannuation. Yes, so so we were talking about the investment options and, and most funds, most um, the industry, private sector and RAP type funds all have pooled options um, and which is just, you know, conservative of, you know, conservative and, you know, balanced and those type of things. So um, that they put a group of, of stocks together and... Uh and uh, you, yeah, just, you just buy that. that uh, then yep. the private sector funds and, to a lesser extent, selected industry funds and the wrap products all have um, self-selected investment options, which means that you actually can can get to um, select um, what what particular stocks or what particular managed funds go into um, into your superannuation fund. Now, um, the industry funds. Some of them have that option. Uh, some of the private sector funds have the options. But the wrap products generally have the biggest options in these. Now, some of these wrap products have 4,000 investment options. Wow. So you can, you know, basically invest in any ASX-listed security and a great long list of managed funds, um, subject to some trustee um, oversight of what you're actually putting the money into. Mm-hmm. So they won't let you – generally, they won't let you put it into the XYZ gold mine um, or if they do it'll be a small percentage of the fund whereas you know if you stick to the blue chips or the banks they're happy to put that in so basically going down the list if you want to control your investments you know direct to yourself um, um, the wrap product will give you almost as much control as a self-managed super fund without having to take on all the administrative burdens and issues Okay, that always so, sounds a good option, doesn't it? Option. Well, you know, <laughs> if you've got four thousand options, there, you, yeah. you're getting. Yeah. Um, but then some people still like to have control of things and like to control their own money and their own destiny, and so that's with the self-managed superannuation funds. Now, self-managed superannuation funds are particularly, particularly um, popular with people who like property investment, um, and uh, property. Just looking across our practice, a lot of people who have self-managed superannuation funds have property in those funds. Residential, commercial, residential, commercial. Mm-hmm. Um, now you can also um, you can also borrow. One of the few few times you can borrow to acquire property for your self-managed superannuation fund. Um, it's getting more and more difficult to do that um, because the financial institutions are becoming more and more demanding on their terms and the rates are going up. So generally we don't recommend it's a good idea anyhow, but that, that is there if people want want to do it. So your self-managed superannuation fund, you can put your residential property in, you can put your commercial property in, you can put your industrial sheds in, um, and that's the only way generally that a private individual can do that. And the self-managed fund, there's like you can put your collectibles in, which once again, why, why you would do that, I don't know. Um, but you can put um, you can put gold bars in, provided, you know, if you want to hold gold bars in the Perth Mint, um, fine, you can put them in. You can put 100% of the fund in to go gold bars at Perth Mint if you wanted to. <laughs> um, um, you, you know, you've got to take into account the security issues. And yeah, so, so um, because a gold bar is not a collectible, but a gold coin is. <laughs> Okay. So, okay. So yeah. And so. you don't normally keep your gold bars under the bed, do you? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, for if you if the trustee of the super fund has to have it in place a, a process to to safeguard the yes. assets, so uh, you you wouldn't normally keep it under the bed. No. <laughs> and it is quite Popping easy. It, um, it yeah. is quite easy to buy. Um, you know, gold bars from Perth Mint, and they'll store them for you and ah. give you a certificate. And, yes. Uh, and, 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 they, and and their government and their 
guaranteed by the Western Australian government. So, so it's reasonably secure way of holding um, gold bars and not putting them under the bed where yes. Gary Packer had the gold bars stored in his safe and someone it and stole them. Oh, they must have known that they case? Yeah, oh. yeah, and they never found out who did it. So, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't be keeping my gold bars under the bed. Um, or even if I in want the gold safe. bars. <laughs> now, there was a fund advertising. You know, this is important. Fees. Now, we need to understand fees. There was a fund, a fund advertising this week or last week that I saw that said, um, "We've got the lowest fees." Of, you know, our fees are the lowest and that maximises your return. Now, that is not right. Mm-hmm. It's just completely wrong. What you need to look for is the fees. You, if you're particularly if you're looking for these pool-type investments, you need to look at the after-fee return. It's no use having the lowest fees in, the, in, in Australia, but the return, the, the, the after-fee return is also the lowest. What you need to do is look at the after the after fees return, and that's what you need to consider the fees in light of. And they will let you know that. Uh, it'll be in the it'll in be the, in the in product disclosure okay. statement. Yeah. So so I mean, there's too much emphasis I feel not not just in Superfund, but generally on fees and not considering what the returns are. And that's it in a nutshell at okay. the moment. Thank you, Stephen Pritchard. Thanks, Jane. And we will be back with Thursday Finance next Thursday after the midday news on. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well being, pet care, finance, business, and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.